Hello and welcome to Plotra. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing The Queer Principles of Tit Web by Kat Sebastian. This was published in 2021 and is the first in the Queer Principles of Kit Web series. And full disclosure, we did receive a copy of this book from Happily Ever Avon. So thank you, Avon. Let's read the book jacket and then get into our summaries because I think they are some differences. Yeah. Kit Webb has left his stand and deliver days behind him. But dreary days at his coffee shop have begun to make him pine for the heady rush of thievery. When a handsome yet arrogant aristocrat storms into his shop, Kit quickly realizes he may be unable to deny whatever this highborn man desires. In order to save himself and a beloved friend, Percy, Lord Holland, must go against every gentlemanly behavior he holds dear to gain what he needs most. A book that once belonged to his mother. A book his father never lets out of his sight and could be Percy's savior. More comfortable in silk-filled ballrooms than coffee shops frequented by criminals, his attempts to hire the roughly-hewn highwayman, formerly known as Gladhand Jack, proves equal parts frustrating and electrifying. Kit refuses to participate in the robbery, but, ag but agrees to teach Percy how to do the deed. Percy knows he has little choice but to submit, and as the lessons in thievery begin, he discovers thievery isn't the only crime he's desperate to commit with Kit. But when their careful plan goes dangerously wrong and shocking revelations threaten to tear them apart, can these stolen hearts withstand the impediments in their path? Phew. That's right, a one, long book jacket. I'm just going to boil down a lot of things I have to say, too. I have a problem with making the fact that homosexuality was a crime sexy. <laughs> that's, that's a valid point. As, yeah. I, I stand, I'm very uncomfortable with the fact that they literally could have been imprisoned for sodomy compared to the crimes he's desperate to commit. <laughs> okay, Th this book jacket is not inaccurate. It's too long. I don't even remember what the first paragraph said, and I'm looking at it right now. To be fair, the plot of this book is extremely convoluted. And extremely unresolved, and I'm not even sure why half the things were important. Mm-hmm. Well, luckily for you, we boiled it down to 19 words, because that was the word that we generated today. <laughs> that was yeah. the word count we generated today. Um, I, will, I will start, because I think Lane's is more interesting. Here's mine. Solve your commitment issues and improve your moral standing. The problem you'll learn your whole life was a lie. All right. So Meg did a better job than me at getting at the actual like thematic core of the book. <laughs> uh, so uh, the other, just to say this, the title of this book is The Queer Principles of Kit Webb. But I feel like the person who really changes the most is Percy. Yeah. And 
my, in case you're wondering, my random number summary was directed at Percy, not at Kit. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting that the series right now is titled The Queer Principles of Kit Web Series because mm-hmm. clearly, like, it's going to branch far beyond Kit himself. Right. And in fact, I might have made a pun about the Merry Men. Well, why don't you do your random number summary and then I will admit something very embarrassing. Okay. Robin Hood taken to an anarchist extreme with a litany of unresolved B-plots. Little John falls for Nottingham's son. So Lane is 100% correct about this. And what is embarrassing to admit is that I did not pick up on any of it. (laughs) So we, I texted Meg about two hours ago that I was kind of mad when Cat Sebastian in the text makes a Robin Hood reference in this book because I'm like, okay, way to drive the obvious point home, Cat Sebastian. And apparently Meg missed what I was saying in my text and didn't realize that this was a Robin Hood retelling until we jumped on to record. (laughs) I was like, I mean, sure, it's kind of Robin Hoody because you steal from the rich to give to the poor. I was like, but you know... (laughs) She's like, wait, no. She's like, Marion, Little John, <laughs> Robin. I was like, well, so there, oh, there is right. a Marion, there is a Robin, there's a Scarlet, LOL, Will Scarlet's a prostitute. Uh, <laughs> and, but, and uh, Kit Webb's alias was Gladhand Jack, aka another pun on a body part and John. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> Stand by my assessment. So Lane is 100% correct. And I, all I can say is that I was lulled into complete submission by the first half of this book, which we will talk about. I will also say, if you know the like really old versions of Robin Hood, the ending of this book is spoiled. In some ways, like... So we have a like inheritance drama to get into a plot. It's not the A plot, but like we're just jumping to tropes at this point. Um, yeah. And Robin Hood, as a lot of people will know from the the original Robin Hood stories, has often has ties to the aristocracy. Mm-hmm. And I think that is as much as I can say without spoiling this book, but like LOL. <laughs> yeah. I think. Aside from Robin Hood retelling, <laughs> the biggest trope is <laughs> the biggest trope is is Grumpy Sunshine. Uh, I think it's a combination of that and class difference. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those are the, the two biggest ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think it vacillates between the two. I mean, perhaps to Cat Sebastian and Robin Hood. Um, <laughs> there is no known original author, so I can't shout out one person, but. Like, Robin Hood and his Merry Men had principles that are not mm-hmm. conventional, but you're talking about, again, trope, honor with a capital H. Mm-hmm. They live by them, and I will say they are very well articulated here by Kit. Yes. Yes. I agree. <laughs> and they, yes. <laughs> uh, there, as you might expect, there is sort of a heist plot. Sort of. Yeah, it's, I, it's not, I fucking can't. Yeah, and I mean, for me, the thing is, the book is a lot about setting up this heist and pulling off this heist, but 
for something that is supposed to be the main part of this book, it sort of takes a backseat. I don't actually understand the plot here. And I don't like, not that the core, so the core conflict is that Kit is a former merry man living in isolation following the death of Robin Hood and choosing to try to like make it on the straight and narrow. And Percy is the son of an aristocrat who is being blackmailed by an unknown entity because it turns out he is illegitimate. His father had a wife he married for, you know, seduction reasons before he ever entered into legitimate marriages. So not only is Percy illegitimate, but his Percy's best friend, who also happens to be his new stepmother, is also now in a bigamist marriage and like and so going his to be half sister is now illegitimate. So like all everyone in his immediate orbit is going to be like marked by shame. So that's like the core of the plot. And they for some reason get it in their head that if they can get this book in his father's possession that he sleeps with and has hired armed guards to protect that that somehow will enable them to get enough money to live on before publicly outing this themselves to control the narrative. What this book was never truly makes sense. Like, I think it's a little bit trope. Bad guys also have to be treasonous bastards. Yeah. But that's never like fully articulated enough that I can actually say that with confidence. Right. I I mean the heist is the heist is the MacGuffin, basically. Well, and even Marion's whole thing is MacGuffin. Like she says in the first chapter something along the lines of your father and I were married under false pretenses. Like I've kept up my end of the bargain and he didn't keep up his. Mm-hmm. And you're not sure what the bargain was. And Marion like has illicit contacts. He's not prepared for like the whole thing just doesn't work. Right. I mean, I think the I think the point, the whole reason raison d'etre of this heist is to get them together. Is right. To get them together, right? Oh, sure. And this is a romance, right? So the heist itself isn't really important, but although the it feels like it should, which should be really motivating, like. Kit and Percy never have this conversation about what's motivating Kit. Right. And Percy, for all that he explains to Kit at one point, it's it, it comes out in chapter one that Percy's illegitimate and that's what the conflict is. But Percy never explains what his plan actually is beyond this heist. Like how right. it ties into anything. It just, it doesn't work. Yeah. All right. Any other tropes? Um, well, oh, Kit has a sexy lamp. Yes, he has a sexy lamp. He's like, a, except instead of being a veteran of the Napoleonic Wars, he's a veteran of being Robin Hood's best friend. Right. Um, and I will also point out that we talked about this a little bit, but I do think it's, it comes up often enough. I'm thinking of the most recent Science Ladies book with Ladies Something Guide in the title. and. Um, even I think a Sherry Thomas did this, but like where the new heir is friends with his stepmother, like she's more of a mm. peer to him right? because his father married his third wife really young. 
Right. In mm-hmm. this case, they were childhood friends, so it's a little different. But I think you've seen often the Duke is a really bad dude. And it's always a Duke in this storyline for some reason. The Duke is a really bad dude. So the stepmother and the adult-aged son sort of end up being allies. Right. Because the father's always a total dick. Well, yeah. So, I mean, I guess obviously, I guess we need to mention this. Daddy issues. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, almost goes Robin, saying. Uh, I think Robin Hood trope is sad, tragic. Everyone in his family is dead. Yeah, it's uh, extremely tragic. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so let me get into the book. I like Cat Sebastian. I think she's a good writer. I have yes. liked everything that I've read by her. This is honestly the only reason I didn't put this book down in the first half. Because the first half of the book, you are told that there's this deadline, like there's a drop-dead deadline that they have to meet. Otherwise, the blackmailer is going to reveal their, you know, illicit parentage. And you so there's supposed to be this sense of urgency but i swear to god the only thing that happens in the first half of this book is that percy dresses up in a lot of different outfits and goes yes. to spy on kit he either wears outfits that catch a lot of attention and he goes in to like make a splash mm-hmm. or he dresses up in outfits that somehow manage to conceal his identity and he follows kit around but, like, I'm not kidding. That's all that happens in the first half of this book. He puts on fake moles. <laughs> a fake scar. A fake scar. That's the second half. In the first half, that he puts on moles right that look... 50%. Yeah, the yeah, first the half, little... he puts on moles that look like hearts. The moosh. Yes. Yep. So, and, like, like, yes, there's some character development and stuff. And God knows I love character development because I love characters. But... I was quite honestly bored. Yeah. So, yeah. They they look at each other a lot. They both like the way the other one looks. There's definitely no trust or anything like that. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. I did end up really enjoying the second half. Okay. So I think Kat Sebastian does a really nice job of writing a gay relationship in Georgian times without making me feel really depressed. All righty. I would dispute that because of the ending. Okay. Which I think we need a spoiler tag for. So, okay. Um, And I also really like how she calls out Percy's privilege. So one of the interesting things about this couple is that Kit is from the lower classes. He always has been, you know, even though he's rich now because of his ill-gotten gains, he still, you know, he lives as a, a, I wouldn't even say prosperous, you know, business owner, but, you know, he's not in the red. I I think... Percy observes it well. He doesn't live like a man who's worried about money. Right. Um, But Kit has never 
been involved in a gay relationship because for him, it's not worth the risk. Right. And I want to be clear. It's not exclusively that he's been closeted. It's very clear. Kit is bisexual and mm-hmm. fell in love with a woman and in his past has had not beard relationships, genuine relationships with women. So right. I think it's also like to a degree comparing the characters, it's a lot easier to make the assessment that it's just not worth the, worth the risk when the socially acceptable option is appealing to you. Is okay. Right. Exactly. Percy, on the other hand, is pretty exclusively gay. I mean, he's gay. He's not bi. And because of his status as the heir to a dukedom, he's never had to hide the fact that he prefers the company of men. Well, and I thought that was a really interesting point, especially thinking Mm -hmm. back to, like, Oscar Wilde. Mm -hmm. Like, he got caught messing around with a Lord Ling, and he went to jail, and the Lord Ling didn't. Yeah, exactly. Like, the Lord Ling was shamed. It's not like there was no social stigma, but comparative consequences. Yeah. So I I thought it was a really interesting... I mean, and it fits really well with the the main plot, right? Which, as Blaine pointed out, is a Robin Hood plot. (laughs) And I was just like, oh, it's a class difference plot. (laughs) But it fits really well with this, the greater theme. Um, And then... Sebastian also allows Kit to call Percy out for his blindness to his own privilege. Yeah. Which I really liked. I did too. And I'm also glad. So it was interesting. Rob's class at this point is higher than that he was born into, but not by much. Mm-hmm. But clearly, as um, a highwayman and Robin Hood sidekick, he's had exposure to a lot of different walks of life. I thought it was really interesting that education didn't play a bigger role Yeah, in their dynamic beyond trying to figure out who Edward Percy was. Yeah. Yeah, Kit was not, I don't think he was like, he, well, he was not. He was not illiterate. Um, you know, you're not, I mean, his family re- owned a tavern when he was young. So yeah. maybe that's where he got the education, right? Enough to read or, or to do sums or whatever, enough to run a business. But he also has a, a lending library of sorts in his coffee house. And he's familiar with the books as well. So it's not, yes. he also reads for pleasure. Yes. So, so basically, the first part of the book, I was like, okay, what is happening here? It's a the fashion show. Part of the book, it's a series it, of fashion shows. It is. It is a fashion show. And then the second half of the book, I was more interested in what happened. I did like the way their relationship developed, and I really liked the way she used their relationship to call out the privilege that is so often a fantasy background in historical romance. Yeah. I want to spoiler tag again, because I feel like the one big comment I wanted to make that requires spoiling ties into this as well. Okay. Should we, let's move on. And then at the end, we'll do a spoiler tag. Yes. Okay. So was there anything that offended you or do you think required a content warning? Um, I want to point out one, like there's some role tragedy here. Major tragedy, yes. The fact that being gay is criminalized is also pointed out. 
like on the one hand you've got a queer romance on the other hand you've got a queer romance that points out that they could go to jail for being queer mm-hmm. and will scarlet has become a woman named scarlet who's a brothel owner mm-hmm. who may or may not have a daughter working in the brothel it's all very weird and glossed over and i just want to point out that i thought that could have been done better yeah yes it felt we've talked about this a lot about our ambivalence to how sex work is portrayed in historical romance yeah so you know i maybe i can try to think of the episodes where it appears in i i remember specifically brazen and the beast if you want to hear us go off about it listen to brazen and the beast or the Lord I left. Yep. Okay. Um, so that's that's my short list. Anything else you want to add? I mean, Percy's dad is a, a like really horrible person. All tell and no show. Yeah, I guess. I'm sort of confused. Other than the the bigamy, mm-hmm. which. Let's be real, like, married a girl to get her into bed. Those marriages were annulled and declared invalid all the effing time. Like, look mm-hmm. at, what was it, one of uh, King George III's sons was married and had kids, and they just got it annulled. Like, mm-hmm. I don't actually know that that was that big a deal. Yeah. And, like, especially... If in, if if the scandal didn't break before Percy inherited, like we've discussed before, that it's really hard to reverse the inheritance unless there's a claimant. Right. Like proving illegitimacy is actually pretty hard. Yeah. And especially once someone's like got a title. So I say all of this because Percy's father beyond that doesn't really care about his tenants like bulldozes some towns but beyond like which is normal shitty lord behavior like bad dad what makes him exceptionally terrible I think what makes him exceptionally terrible is spoiler alert Jump forward 30 seconds, his willingness to kill his son. Yeah, okay. Yes. But until that moment, which is really late, I don't actually feel like his father's villainy was that well established. Yeah. I mean, you hear even they point out that the parish register for the marriage was signed under a false name. Yeah. You hear about it from other people. You hear about what a horrible guy he is from Kit. And you see how what he's done has affected Kit's life. Right. But what other Lord we've ever seen wouldn't have done that other than Westbeth? <laughs> All of the Lords who are heroes would never have done that. Okay, Lane? It wasn't targeted or personal. Yes, that's true. I- I'm just saying, like, even cool. good Lords, you're like, we did this to push for innovation or we converted these fields. And, like, it's always presented as a great thing and there's no thought given well, to the I fact think, that it displaces people. I think that's maybe where... I think this is where Cat Sebastian is sort of unique among historical romance writers is that 
she she points out that part of why he's evil is that he doesn't realize that he's evil. The right, banality not, of it. Right. He's not bucking the system. And I, that's definitely shown in the, in the, the denouement or whatever. But I just, I needed a little bit more why Percy hated his dad. Like I get why Kit did. I get why like the man whose whole life has been like a victim of a man's caprices, not even like actual targeted malice would matter but i expected a little bit more from why marion hated him yeah why percy hated him like he he didn't until the ending (laughs) Uh he wasn't even like a run-of-the-mill evil dude he was just like kind of an absentee dad who used his power badly yeah he is all right let's talk about sexiness before we get into it, I want to talk about reviewing queer romance as heterosexual women and maybe talk a little bit about romance in general and why I think it can be really difficult for people like us to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And the first one, the first thing I want to mention is this tagline that you hear all the time about romance. And part of the reason that it's celebrated is that it's written by women for women, right? Right. It's like a huge thing. And I have, it like hit me when I was reading this book because I was like, oh, maybe this is why I feel uncomfortable reviewing male-male romances, right? Because these are relationships about people that are written about people who would never be a part of this relationship. If that makes sense. It's written by women for women. It's not a relationship about two men that's written for a man to read. The people who are writing, reading, and enjoying I don't think it, this is written for a man to read at all. That's what I'm saying. It's exactly what I'm saying, actually. Yeah. And that's why I feel a little bit uncomfortable reviewing it. Because I feel like it's problematic to write something... It's almost inherently othering for this couple, right? For us to read about it in this way. I I put it a little differently. I think I agree with like your thesis in general. People write what they don't understand or what's not their lived experience all the time. And I don't want to discourage that. I think the, the degree to which I want to problematize it here is actually talking about the intended audience. Mm hmm. Like, the goal here isn't to depict a gay relationship that gay men will relate to. It's to depict a gay relationship that, in most cases, straight women can see something in. Mm -hmm. And I, like, Megan and I are the wrong people to have this conversation because I know from fan fiction and from romance, there's, like, like a whole subset of straight women who are really into gay erotica. Right. And we are not those women. And so I don't, I don't quite know how to have a conversation about justifying something's existence when inherently that thing doesn't appeal to me. Like, I, I'm missing something here, I think. Yeah. So I just, I, I just really briefly wanted to talk about that because I do agree that in general, romance is written by women for women's consumption. I don't know if there's inherently a problem with depicting a male-male relationship, 
in that context. And I don't think I'm the person to make that judgment. It's easy for me to say that as someone who does not particularly seek that out. Right? Right. And I will say from what I've read that there are gay men who do read Cat Sebastian and enjoy her. Great. Yeah. I just wanted to preface this entire talk with that, okay? Mm -hmm. It is prefaced. So, like, yes, this is explicit. They have sexy gay sex, okay? I don't yeah. know. Uh, I, I found myself wondering more about the logistics of it as I was reading it. Like, Kit's really into Percy, and so he takes him into the back room, and he's like, the oil's over there. And I was like, what kind of oil? <laughs> what kind of oil is kept in the sparring room? Well, it's the storeroom of his coffee house. So I'm like, what is this? Is this cooking oil? Is it olive oil? So there were three, three hookups, three explicit scenes, I believe. Two or three. Okay. And I do think that she does a good job of using their, she does what we like, which is that she uses their intimate scenes to further the relationship and to further the plot. Mm -hmm. So I do want to say that that was well done. I especially liked their encounter at his manor house. Okay. And tangentially related, I thought it was really funny afterwards because they like visit his, you know, country estate. And then they have to leave right away. And he's like, oh, shit, I have to get on this horse now? He's like, you did a really good job planning, Percy. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought she did a really good job of infusing a little bit of humor as well. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about uh, sexiness before we move on to spoiler tag? I got nothing I feel like my voice can contribute to this conversation. <laughs> All right. Well, the rest of this episode will be spoilers, so if you want to leave now, please rate, review, and subscribe before you go, and we'll see you next time. listening. Okay, so, one. I thought it was real weird in the end uh -huh. that the happily ever after was Percy ruining the dukedom. Uh-huh. Which was so historically inaccurate. And, like, rebelling against the concept of an aristocracy on any level, taking to, like, such a ridiculous extreme, but their personal happily ever after was living next door to each other, pretending to be friends. Mm -hmm. And even in the happily ever after epilogue, there's a thought of, like, this street is dark enough that people won't notice when we go in through each other's back doors at night. And one, LOL. <laughs> Yep. But two, that's just really sad. Yeah, like, like can't can't they be confirmed bachelors living in the same house? Like, and at, I think at a minimum. I had this conversation because we've been reading the Jeannie Lynn's recently, but like there have been moments in her book where we've been like, shit, like am I gonna be in a position where I buy something other than marriage as a happily ever after? Right. And she, as a true romance novelist, doesn't actually go that route so you don't have to think about that too hard because it's not what happens but 
This was one of those cases where this definitely felt like a sad also round situation. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a happily ever after. It wasn't a happily for now. Sure. And, and they, they do have an adopted baby, sort of, because heteronormativity for the win. Yes. So I, I really liked, I did really like that Percy tied their happily ever after to not just the person, but remaking his own ideals because he, he saw something better and wanted to change. So he yeah. did really like that. And I thought that was very romance novel. And I liked it a lot. Good. But, yeah. I just, I, I also think this is where, like, maybe my personal politics become evident. But, like, to me, there's a difference between trashing the system and working within the system. Mm-hmm. And I meant what I said when I said anarchist in my summary. Mm-hmm. Like, Kit makes an offhand comment about there's no such thing as a good aristocrat. Mm-hmm. Well, and, there's no such thing as a good landlord. Right, but landlords in this era were aristocrats. like In general, yes. Yes. So, so Percy takes that to heart and basically just divests of all his holdings gives people independence, like just says, okay, fine. Then this isn't how I'm going to do it. And I'm going to leave the next Duke, whoever he is impoverished. And it's just like, I don't, we've seen so many versions of this where the guy comes in, gives tenants freedom and then takes his seat in the house of Lords. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that happy, happy ending here would have meant he would have had to marry a woman someday. Right. But, like, just have there be a little brother character who's straight. Like, I don't know. I just felt like the fuck the system, fuck the whole thing, divesting is the only answer. Like, we're willing to be revolutionaries on this political front in a way that's super inauthentic, but we have to live a house apart. I, like I see what you mean. Inherently contradictory. It was, the, it was the combo. It wasn't the fact that he was like, I'm rejecting everything yeah, except it was know, both. Yeah, yeah. it's that like i'm willing to burn this to the ground but i'm not willing to like live in your tea shop that has spare rooms and we could just say we're confirmed bachelors mm-hmm. or buy the house next to it and say you're moving in with me and yes we'll rent, exactly we'll, we'll rent out the rooms even though landlords are bad <laughs> right but you know well you'll, you'll let your friends live there it was the combo. It was it was yeah, the yeah, revolution gotcha. on one hand and not the other. I still know that I would have loved revolution, period, but like I would have been more okay with it had that it, mindset applied to their relationship as well. Like if you're gonna go there, if you're gonna do it, then you need to commit. Yeah. Like not we're divesting from the economic social order, but not social convention. Yeah. I was and I mentioned this before, and I think it's what makes Kat Sebastian unique, is that she does follow these things to the logical conclusion. It's not just, well, I'm going to be a good landlord and make sure that my tenants are taken care of. It's landlords are bad. I don't want to be one anymore. I'm glad right. that I'm illegitimate, right? So mm-hmm. I, I do think that's really interesting to read. Right. I also, like, you don't actually see the conclusion here other than him buying the house. Mm -hmm. Like, 
I don't know that I believe in any sort of historical reality he'd successfully give up the dukedom. So uh, we're obviously going to have to wait till the next book to find this out. Yeah. Because this book is, is, is obviously just the first half of a, it's the first half of a concurrent story. So there is concurrently something going on with Marianne and something going on with Rob, which I can't believe I didn't put it together because I'm an idiot. But anyway, you're not an idiot. Don't You did not grow up on all the Robin Hood versions. The other thing, like, so notoriously in every Robin Hood version, Little John is the only one with Robin Hood when he dies. Mm. So the fact that it was a jailbreak and it was just the two of them, I was like, cool, that's Little John. <laughs> like, you, you so literally like- have to... You have to be so in it, though. You're not dumb for not being, like, literally raised on Robin Hood. I was like, there's Will Scarlet, and there's Lady <laughs> Marion, and, and I was like, oh, yeah. And I was like, well, I was like, who's Kit? And she's like, little John, you dummy. <laughs> she was like, you dummy. But Did I was not. like, oh, yeah. That they grew sense. up in the forests on his lands. His, his, he, comes from a fam- he comes from a family of poachers. It took me a long time, okay? <laughs> But you know, you're totally uh, right. That it is Robin <laughs> story. I mean, it is. <laughs> so I, I, I did like the love story. Yes. I, I, I yes. But I this is not what I wanted from Robin Hood. Yeah, I, I think for me, I really liked the two characters. I really liked their love story. I really liked how they related to each other. I didn't love the surrounding plot. And that's coming from someone who didn't even know it was supposed to be Robin Hood. (laughs) They didn't get it. Yeah, so so the plot, just like to fully dive into all the ways it doesn't make sense. Apparently, Percy's dad, the Duke of Clare, but let's just call him Nottingham, marries a woman who's an English woman, and for some reason, they go France. To get married. Under fake names. For her. Not for him. They come back to England. When less than a year later. He marries. Percy's mom. Then Percy's mom. Keeps a blackmail bible. And was Biffles. With this woman. Her husband illegally married in France. Mm Mm-hmm. But then for some reason she got sent away and no one remembers her and her child was raised by people somewhere off in the distance. Yeah, I mean they remember her because they're always like, remember how the Duke of Clare lived with his mistress? Okay, then his mom, Percy's mom dies. At some point in all of this, the mistress disappears. Then the Duke remarries his son's childhood friend. And then the events of this book happen. But what this book is, or why it matters, or what leverage it gives them over the dad, and Robin Hood ending up being the blackmail, it's all very weird. And, like, the pieces just don't fit together. And maybe you'll learn enough about people's motivations in book two that some of this book will make more sense. But, like, I shouldn't have to read book two to understand why characters who are... Marion is given a lot of page time. Mm Mm-hmm. And is and her motivations and behaviors make no sense. Also, a woman who is like 
six fucking months postpartum should not be climbing three-story windows. I mean, you could do it. Can? I use the word should, Meg. I mean, should anyone be doing it, Lane? Yes. Hot men. <laughs> I just want to make it clear that six months postpartum, especially if you're not breastfeeding, which he's not, you could totally do it. I just, like, that's I, a lot of core strength to have regained for a woman who probably lives in an era when she had no core strength. She obviously has hidden depths. I mean, and I say that because it is obvious that there's a lot of backstory <laughs> we're not getting about Marion. I'm glad you're like, that was really obvious. That I got. That I got. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. If you didn't already before the spoiler tag, remember to rate, review, subscribe, and check us out around the internet, anywhere you can find plot twists.